This is Come Follow Me with David Ridges for the week of October 12th through the 18th, covering chapters 3rd Nephi 20 through 26. My name is Sarah McConkie, and I'll be teaching today. Just a little bit about me. I live in Woods Cross, Utah, and I've published two historical romance novels with Cedar Fort Publishing. I have three, almost four, darling kids, but probably the most important thing for you to know is that I love our Savior Jesus Christ and His Gospel. So when I was approached with hosting this podcast for this week, I was really excited. Our text this week covers even more of the Savior's teachings to the Nephites. I love that we get to be right there in the action, seeing exactly how he teaches and what he teaches. This week, he administers the sacrament again. He explains the scattering and the gathering of Israel and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. He quotes Isaiah and Malachi and expounds the scriptures of the old world to the Nephites. We're blessed with how he teaches in repetition and in his commentary of certain Old Testament passages. We get to see exactly how the Lord chose to teach. But before we dive into that, I want to back up a little bit and look at the chapters that lead up to chapter 20. Let's set the stage. Imagine you're a citizen of Bountiful. You, as a result of your faith, survived three hours of total destruction. At this point, you've witnessed tempests, earthquakes, fires, storms, and whirlwinds. There are lightnings and thunderings and upheavals. Now, we've all experienced these kind of things, right? But this time it's been different. It's so much more intense. It's so intense, in fact, that these events have never been known to you or any of your Lehi ancestors. There's no fighting back against Mother Nature. And all you can do is huddle with your family and try to find refuge and hope that you live through it. At this point, I want to pause. Let's reflect on our own circumstances. This year, 2020, has had no shortage of natural disasters. In the Southwest, there's been huge hurricanes. And our friends in the West have had widespread wildfires that are still going. And of course, there's no one that hasn't been affected by the corona pandemic. Many of us listening are probably in Utah. I am. And this year we experienced an earthquake and more recently a huge windstorm that brought 100 mile per hour winds howling through the city. In the front of my house, there was a huge elm tree and it probably stands 40 feet in the air, eight feet around. I'm guessing it's about 100 or 100 years old. And on more than one occasion, we've told people to to move their parked car from under it. And then a huge branch has fallen in the middle of the night during a storm. So frankly, we're kind of scared of this tree. During the night of the windstorm, I had a very real feeling of helplessness. I laid there in my bed and I just knew there was nothing that I could do. The wind was literally shaking my house and I could hear the sounds of trees and of things hitting against the house. Usually when I'm in the middle of something bad, I try to compensate for it. I'm sure we all do, right? You can try to stop your child from touching a hot stove. And I wear a seatbelt when I drive in my car. I put the knives far away on my counter so my two-year-old son can't get to them. But not that night. All I could do was pray. And I did pray really hard. I laid in bed. It woke me up. The sound of my house hit by the wind. And I just prayed that that tree wouldn't fall. 
by some miracle, and I think those prayers, the tree didn't fall on our house. But the timing of those events made reading about the destruction of the Americas really come alive to me. So let's go back to them. Finally, the storms end, but you're not out of the woods yet because it's still dark. It's not a dark that you and I are used to. It's a dark so encompassing that you can feel the mists and the vapor of darkness. You can't produce light. You can't light a candle. You can't make any fire. And then you start to hear your neighbors groaning and mourning. Certainly some are lost. Mothers are probably trying to find their children. Brothers are trying to find their sisters. Some are found, but some aren't. And this miserable and debilitating darkness lasts for three whole days. When this was our Come Follow Me week, we took our kids and we went into the darkest room of our house and we stayed there for 10 minutes and listened to the scriptures on our phone in the dark. It was a really cool experience. But even those 10 minutes in that dark room gave a huge perspective into what darkness for three days would feel like. And then after that, you would hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Listen to how he uses the pronoun I. I caused to be sunk. I caused to be burned. I covered with earth. I did send down fire and destroy them. Clearly, Jesus Christ is not happy with many of your people. And now you know that he's fully in control of all that happens in the earth and in the heavens. Then there's a silence for many hours. The scriptures tell us that you and your people stopped howling and lamenting. Now you realize that Christ is in charge. He leaves you in that silence. And I'm sure if I was there, I would start pondering. Now this story is at its lowest point and its most scary point, And I don't want to focus on that. But I want to show the contrast of the darkness to the light. I want to focus on the first thing that Christ says after the light comes. In chapter 10, verse 5, he says, How oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? O ye people of the house of Israel, how oft would I have gathered you, and ye would not. Given these events, the imagery here is so fascinating and so perfect. Why does a hen gather her chickens? It's to shelter and protect her chickens and nourish them and nurture them, to teach them and guide and help them find and learn the things that they need. Do you think that after all you'd experienced in the last three days, you would wish that you had let him gather you a little bit more and shelter you more? I know that I would have. And thinking about this has really caused me to stop and pause and think, am I a chick that lets the hen gather me or am I a chicken that wants to run away and be stubborn and not give heed to someone who's trying to reach out to me so much. Then mercifully in verse six, he says, how oft will I gather you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? Thank goodness that he says this. He says, I will gather you. Even though earlier he said that we would not let him. What's the condition for him to be able to gather us? It says, if you repent and return unto me with full purpose of heart. So now we're at the climax of the Book of Mormon. Every chapter up until this point has led up to 3 Nephi 11, and every chapter after it will hearken back to it. Here Christ comes to the people, and we hear the voice of the Father, witness of his Son. Christ descends into their presence, and they think he's an angel, but then they realize he's Jesus Christ, and he has the marks in his hands and his side, and they know that he's the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. I love what Christ, Christ says about his coming. I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. 
And behold, I am the light and the life of the world, and have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. So let's think about what he just said. He said that he is the light and the life. How much more does this mean to you, a person in Bountiful who endured three days of darkness? Now in front of you, you see the brilliant light and an immortal life in the flesh. How relieved and excited and grateful and hopeful is this news. In fact, his light is so powerful that it shines on your face and it makes those people there white like unto him. Then that shows us that Christ's light doesn't just show the way it can actually change us. I love thinking about how Christ can change us. So now how much more do you want him to gather you under his wings? Christ goes on to teach many other things. He talks and expounds doctrine. He teaches baptism, prayer. He calls the 12. And some of the things that happen are so sacred, they can't even fully describe or record them. But what I want to focus on today and what chapter 20 starts with is the gathering of Israel the chicks under her wings fits perfectly with the beginning of chapter 20. After Christ performs the sacrament for a second time in chapter 20, he goes right into these words in verse 10 through 13. And it came to pass that when they had given glory unto Jesus, he said unto them, Behold, now I finish the commandment which the Father hath given me concerning this people, who are a remnant of the house of Israel. Ye remember that I spake unto you and said unto you, that when the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, behold, they are written, and ye have them before you, therefore search them. I like his little aside promoting Isaiah, like he always does. And verily, verily, I say unto you, that when they, meaning the words of Isaiah, shall be fulfilled, then is the fulfilling of the covenant, which the Father hath made unto his people, O house of Israel. And then shall the remnants, which shall be scattered abroad the face of the earth, be gathered in from the east and the west and the south and from the north, and they shall be brought to the knowledge of the Lord their God who hath redeemed them. So Christ obviously wants to finish the commandment here, which the father gave him. When we think about the gathering of Israel, this is part of the latter days. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And in a sense, we're all scattered throughout the earth and we're supposed to come back to Christ. The Come Follow Me manual for this week says, When you hear people use the term like house of Israel, do you feel like they're talking about you? Do you apply that to yourself? The manual goes on and says that the Nephites and Lamanites were literal descendants of Israel. Their story even begins in Jerusalem. But to some of them, Jerusalem probably seemed like a land far distant. I mean, it's been 600 years, right? Since they left. And they were a branch and tree of Israel, but they were also lost from its body. But when the Savior appeared unto them, he emphasized, he wanted them to know that they were not lost to him. Ye are of the house of Israel, he said, and ye are of the covenant. Now listen closely to how this applies to us today. For anyone who is baptized and makes covenants with him is also of the house of Israel, of the covenant, no matter who you descend from or where you live. In other words, when Jesus speaks of the house of Israel, he is talking to you. Doesn't this give more meaning and depth to Christ's first comment about a hen gathering the chickens off? The book Doctrinal Commentary of the Book of Mormon says, The gathering of Israel is first spiritual to Christ, his gospel, and the true church, and second temporal 
to the lands of their inheritance, to wards and stakes, where the saints continue to congregate. Salvation is not in a place, but in a person, the person of Christ. I love that. Christ is how we gain our salvation, coming to him. He wants us to gather, but not just physically. Covenants are mentioned several times in the Book of Mormon. President Nelson is very passionate about this concept. He really seems to focus on the gathering of Israel, on the emphasis of covenants, which is spiritual gathering. Making and keeping sacred covenants is how we become part of God's family. In a talk given in 2006, President Nelson said, As prophesied by Peter and Paul, all things were to be restored in this dispensation. Therefore, there must come a part of that restoration, the long-awaited gathering of scattered Israel. It is a necessary prelude to the second coming of the Lord. This doctrine of the gathering is one of the important teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Lord has declared, I give unto you a sign that I shall gather in from their long dispersion my people, O house of Israel, and shall establish again among them my Zion. So here he is talking about gathering the people and becoming Zion. President Nelson says we should not only teach this doctrine, but we should participate in it. We do so as we help to gather the elect of the Lord on both sides of the veil. In a BYU devotional in 1988, then Elder Nelson also cared about this and taught about the house of Israel and our role in the gathering. He asks these questions. Are you of Israel? Are you a Hebrew? Are you related to Abraham? If so, how? Are you Jewish? To what countries do you trace your ancestry? Do any of you trace your ancestry to Egypt? To answer these questions, I'll paraphrase from his talk. He says, are you of Israel? Absolutely. You are the hope of Israel, Zion's army, children of the promised day. We were spirit children in the realms with Elohim, Jehovah, and Abraham and other elect rulers to be. Are we Hebrew? Yes, because we're related to Abraham. Are we Jewish? Yes, if our lineage comes from Judah, but most of our lineage might come through Ephraim and Manasseh. That lineage was selected to pioneer the gathering of Israel, the seed to lead through the world in blessing all the nations of the earth. So those are the people, and we are the people that are supposed to be part of missionary work. When we do missionary work, we help people get baptized, and that points them to the temple. And receiving an endowment there seals members of the church, the Abrahamic covenant. Can you trace your lineage to Egypt? If your patriarchal blessing indicates that you're from Joseph, Ephraim, or Manasseh, or other descendants of Israel, then yes, you can claim Egyptian ancestry. And this is the part that I really love. Each of you is a child of God created in his image. And you are disciples of his beloved son. If you really comprehend the power of that identity, other elements of your background matter less. Paul described this well. He said, For as many of you as have been baptized unto Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise is the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. So we learn that all people who come unto Christ and participate in his covenants are gathered into the house of Israel and are now part of his family. So what else testifies of the gathering of Israel and that is hap- then that it is happening now? We know that this gathering will happen before the second coming. And based on the many signs that we've talked about at the beginning and that we've experienced in our lives, we should know that that time is now. Missionary work, the coming forth of temples, and those natural disasters that we experienced testify of the last days. 
But today I want to emphasize one specific witness that the gathering of Israel is happening. Pay attention to 3 Nephi 21, 2 through 4. Because here the Book of Mormon is referred to as these things. The Book of Mormon is the sign that God's promises have already begun to be fulfilled. Verse 2 says, And behold, this is the thing which I have given unto you for a sign. For verily I say unto you, that when these things, remember that these things are the Book of Mormon, which I declare unto you, and which I declare, which I shall declare unto you hereafter of myself, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, which shall be given unto you of the Father, shall be made known unto the Gentiles, that they may know concerning this people who are a remnant of the house of Israel, and concerning this my people who shall be scattered by them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when these things, again, the Book of Mormon, shall be made known unto them, meaning the Gentiles, of the Father. Now remember the Father, it was his visitation with the Son that opened this dispensation. And shall come forth of the Father from them unto you, meaning the house of Israel. For it is wisdom in the Father that they should be established in this land and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father, that these things might come forth from them unto a remnant of your seed, that the covenant of the Father may be fulfilled, which he hath covenanted with his people, O house of Israel. Remember how Christ said in the beginning of 20 that he wanted to fulfill the covenant his Father had given him. So the Book of Mormon is the sign of the gathering of Israel, but it is also the manual or the tool of gathering. I love that. I love this idea. President Nelson says, the Book of Mormon is central to this work. It declares the doctrine of the gathering. It causes people to learn about Jesus Christ, to believe his gospel, and to join his church. In fact, if there were no Book of Mormon, the promised gathering of Israel would not occur. Speaking of the Book of Mormon, 3 Nephi 21, 5 and 6 says, Therefore, when these works and the works which shall be wrought among you hereafter shall come forth from the Gentiles unto your seed, which shall dwindle in unbelief because of iniquity, for thus it behooveth the Father that it should come forth from the Gentiles. Right? The Book of Mormon came forth from Joseph Smith back to the people that were in the Book of Mormon, that they may show forth the power unto the Gentiles. For this cause that the Gentiles, if they will not harden their hearts, that they may repent and come unto me and be baptized in my name and know of the true points of my doctrine, that they may be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. I love how inclusive this doctrine is. I think sometimes people criticize the church and say that it's not very inclusive, that we're too good or different or too different to include people, that we don't let people come to the temple and we don't let people in. It's just so false. It couldn't be farther from the truth. The Lord is telling us that the Gentiles here are the gatherers and that they can partake in covenants so they can be numbered with his sheep. When the Lord proclaims that there's one fold and one shepherd, he's not cutting off the world. He's inviting everyone in the world to come partake of his celestial goodness and celestial love. It doesn't matter their nationality or their skin color or their background, where they came from. Everyone can be a part of his family. So let's connect the gathering of Israel to covenants. These two ideas cannot be separated. The way that you are spiritually gathered is by making covenants. The word covenant is mentioned about 150 times in the Book of Mormon. 25% of these mentions come from 3 Nephi. Christ himself mentions the word covenant more than any other speaker in the Book of Mormon. And that is how we gather into his fold. 
President Nelson said, The choice to come into Christ is not a matter of physical location. It is a matter of individual commitment. People can be brought to the knowledge of the Lord without leaving their homelands. So I want us to think about today, we are so blessed in these latter days, in these times before the second coming. That's the beauty of living today in the and having the restored gospel because temples dot the earth and congregations exist almost in every land. This enables people to participate in so many covenants like being baptized and partaking of the sacrament and receiving the endowment and being sealed. President Nelson goes on to say, Scripture foretells that the people shall be gathered home to the land of their inheritance and shall be established in all their lands of promise. Every nation is a gathering place for its own people. So the place for Brazilian saints to gather is Brazil. The place for Nigerian saints to gather is Nigeria. The place for Korean saints to gather is Korea. Zion is wherever righteous saints are. Publications, communications, and congregations are now such that nearly all members have access to the doctrines, keys, ordinances, and blessings of the gospel, regardless of their location. Now listen to this. Spiritual security will always depend on how one lives, not where one lives. Saints in every land have equal claim upon the blessings of the Lord. We all have equal claim, and it just depends on how we live. President Nelson has said that the gathering of Israel is the most important thing taking place on the earth today. And he said, if you choose to, if you want to, you can be a big part of it. So how can you and your family learn more about and participate in the gathering of Israel? How can we be a big part of this? 3 Nephi 20, 25 says, And behold, ye are the children of the prophets, and ye are of the house of Israel, and ye are of the covenant which the Father made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. This is wonderful because he promised us that he will remember us, his house of Israel. And in 29 he goes on, And I will remember the covenant which I have made with my people. Remember, we are his people. And I have covenanted with them that I would gather them together in mine own due time. I think teaching this doctrine that we are part of God's family is something that we must teach our children and talk about in the church. We've tried to instill this with our children and in my family. We talk about if your last name's Smith, you're part of the Smith family. If your last name's Jones, you're part of the Jones family. If you're part if your last name's Rodriguez, you're part of the Rodriguez family. And so to be part of Christ's family, we must take his name upon us and come to be with him. We can do this in many different ways, but this is why we go to the temple. This is why we do family history work and why we should engage in missionary work and why we should be the best neighbors that we can be and why we should be teaching our children the gospel every day and have our home-centered learning. And if it is the most important thing happening on the earth today, shouldn't we be doing it every single day? It makes me think of a favorite talk from 2019 General Conference. This is by Elder Peter Johnson, and probably when I start to quote it, you'll remember it too. Pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus Christ every day, every day, every day. Read and study the Book of Mormon every day, every day, every day. I love the repetition that he uses here. We learn and grow in the gospel by repetition. That's how we do it. It's consistent diligence that truly matters daily striving to keep our covenants and help those around us do the same. That's what Christ wants us to do. We make sure that we teach our children daily. We try to participate in the sacrament weekly. We contribute to family history often. We go to the temple as often as we can, and we repeat our covenants over and over and over. 
Now, the thing that is so great about these chapters is that Christ is clearly emulating these principles of repetition and continual striving. He is the perfect example, and he shows us in these chapters. He's not just going to talk about a principle. He's going to teach it, give an example of it right then, and then most likely repeat it. Remember how he spoke about the hen and the chicks under its wing? He uses that phrase not once, but four times. He did the same thing with the sacrament. He does it in chapter 18, and then he does it in 20. He does the same thing with prayer. He teaches prayer. He has them pray. He is an exa- He does an example of prayer. He does the same thing over and over when he quotes the prophets. Christ teaches by repetition. I love that we get to see his example of how he teaches. This is a great reminder for those of us who are parents, because how many times have I tried to teach my children a principle and they just don't get it the first time? So you have to teach it over and over and over again before the child really makes it a habit. And I think the Lord understands that we are the exact same way. And that's really humbling to realize that we are his children and that he knows we need repetition to come back. Okay, so let's move on past chapters 20 through 22 and look at chapter 23. Christ just taught us about the gathering of Israel. And in there, he uses some of Isaiah's words. He quoted scripture in 22. And then in 23, verse 1, he says, Now behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently. For great are the words of Isaiah. Okay, wow. So that's important if he's commanding us to search the words of Isaiah. Now, I'm an author. And one of my favorite things is when somebody recommends my book to somebody else. But it's an entirely different thing to have the Savior not only recommend your book, but command you to search it diligently. Now that's an endorsement for Isaiah. So a lot of people like to shy away from Isaiah because he's hard to understand. But I love that we get a first person account of Christ explaining to us why it's so important. He says, For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore, it must needs be that he must speak also to the Gentiles. And all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. Isaiah talks of the house of Israel and the gathering of the Gentiles. Christ also says that everything that Isaiah says will come to pass. That's a good reason for us to be searching and internalizing Isaiah. Then Christ teaches us something important in verse 4 about the scriptures. He really cares what's in them. He says, Therefore give heed to my words, write the things which I have told you, and according to the time and the will of the Father, they shall go forth unto the Gentiles. He goes on with this counsel in 6. And whosoever will hearken unto my words, and repenteth and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Search the prophet, for many there be that testify of these things. I might sound like I'm repeating myself here, but Christ likes repetition too. So I think I'm in some pretty good company. The prophets testify of him over and over and over, and we should too. Not only that, but Christ clearly cares about what is in the scriptures. And now it came to pass, this is verse 6, that when Jesus said, said these words, he said unto them again, after he had expounded all the scriptures unto them, which they had received, he said unto them, behold, other scriptures I would have that ye should write, that ye have not. He asked them to bring the scriptures, and then Christ goes on to ask why they left out the portion he specifically commanded them to record. 
The Lord states in verse 9, Verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel the Lamanite, that he should testify unto this people, that at that day the Father should glorify his name in me, that there were many saints who should arise from the dead, and should appear unto many, and should minister unto them. And he said unto them, Was it not so? And his disciples answered him and said, Yea, Lord, Samuel did prophesy according to thy words, and they were all fulfilled. So Nephi remembered that he had not included this prophecy or its fulfillment, and he made sure that they added it to the record. When God edits your work, you listen. So the end of 23 has one of my favorite scriptures. Verse 14 says, Now it came to pass that when Jesus had expounded all scriptures in one which they had written, he commanded them that they should teach the things which he had expounded unto them. What does it mean to expound all the scriptures in one? How is that possible? How can we do this? I think Christ answered that question by his example. He used the scriptures from different places and added important scriptures to testify of himself, to show how they go together and how they all testify of him and of the same truth. Let's move on now to chapters 24 and 25. Here Christ quotes yet another prophet. Surprise, surprise. It's Malachi. Why does he quote Malachi? Don't worry. He tells us why. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass that he commanded them that they should write the words which the Father had given unto Malachi, which he should tell them. And it came to pass that after they were written, he expounded them. He always is expounding the scriptures. He's explaining them and teaching them. And these are the words which he did tell unto them, saying, Thus said the father unto Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi teaches of the last days. The things included in the Book of Mormon are for our day. So doesn't it make sense? That's why he wants Malachi here. The title page of the Book of Mormon specifically says that the Book of Mormon is for our people. Not only that, we see that Christ is expounding the scriptures. He's such a good example of reading them, but not just reading them, explaining them. Do we do this in our own lives? However, this scripture was a little bit confusing to me at first because I didn't understand who the messenger was. Who do you think the messenger is? The book Doctrinal Commentary of the Book of Mormon says... The scriptures are silent concerning the specific identity of the messenger of whom Malachi spoke. It is possible that Malachi was speaking collectively of many messengers whom the Lord would send to prepare the earth for his second coming. These heavenly messengers would include Moses, Elias, Elijah, John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and perhaps many others. In addition to heavenly messengers... Malachi may have been referring to the mortal ministrants who would also be commissioned to lay the foundation of the church and prepare the way for the second coming. Chief among these latter-day mortal messengers would have been the prophet Joseph Smith. It may also be that Malachi was referring to the restored gospel as the messenger that would prepare the way before the Lord in addition to mortal messengers, so they personified that. For the Lord declared through the prophet Joseph Smith, I have sent my everlasting gospel into the world to be the light of the world, to be a standard for my people, and for the Gentiles to seek to it, and to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. So there's a few ways to interpret it. As spoken of earlier, I also read one commentary that proposed the Book of Mormon as being the messenger. Regardless of who the messenger is, it's safe to say 
that he has come. The gospel is here. I believe one of the reasons that the Lord's quoting Malachi is because the Lord is interested in scriptures that prophesy and help us understand that prophecies are fulfilled. That's why he's keen on getting Samuel the Lamanite's record in there so that we can see the prophet's words will always be fulfilled because they are God's words. Maybe that's another little lesson on following the prophet of our day. Do we listen to the words that he says? There's also the fact that Malachi's teachings would have been new to the Nephites, even though they seem old to us. They left Israel in 600 BC, and Malachi wrote these around 400 BC. So Christ thought this material was important, and it's new to them. Also, we don't get a more clear explanation in the Book of Mormon on tithing than these chapters. Perhaps the Spirit told Mormon that we needed that doctrine today. Of these scriptures he just quoted, Christ said in 3 Nephi 26 two. These scriptures which ye have not, which ye had not with you, the Father commanded that I should give unto you, for it is wisdom in him that they should be given unto future generations. We are those future generations. The Book of Mormon is for our day, and this is just another testament that Christ is so aware of what's in the scriptures and what has been given to us and what we need to read. The chapter quoting Malachi specifically talks of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. These scriptures are one of the few scriptures that show up in all four of the standard works. So if they're showing up in all four, it must be very, very important. When we participate in temple work, we are gathering. When we participate in missionary work, we are gathering. And we are turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. So let's listen to President Nelson's recounting of Joseph Smith hearing these scriptures. I think it's really interesting when the angel comes to him in 1823 before the Book of Mormon has been restored, before he's seen the plates, the the angel Moroni comes to him and quotes these same scriptures. That's what so, these scriptures are that important. And I think it's interesting that the Lord teaches them in the beginning of his sermons, right? He hasn't been among the Nephites for that many days and he teaches them. And Moroni teaches them to Joseph when he's relatively young in the gospel. On September 21st, 1823, Moroni appeared to the prophet quoting scriptures from the fourth chapter of Malachi, though with a little variation from the way it reads in our Bibles. That's from Joseph Smith history. President Nelson goes on to say, the difference in text from the Bible is highly significant. You recall it refers to the heart of the fathers being turned to the children and the heart of the children being turned to the fathers. Joseph Smith tells us that Moroni quoted the fifth verse thus, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. The concept the prophet was trying to emphasize that the hearts of the children will become aware of the promises made to their fathers. Then with that comprehension, the hearts of the children will turn to their parents. That includes parents, grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Once we know that we are the royal lineage of which we are a part, our actions and our directions in life will be more appropriate to our inheritance. So again, President Nelson is pointing out that when we remember that we are part of God's family, and that he wants us to return to him, then it changes how we are. 
Christ, of course, wants us to be ready for the second coming. That's another great reason why he quoted the chapters in Malachi. Let's close by looking at the, our last chapter this week, chapter 26. The beginning of the chapter has Christ speaking. Verse 1 says, And now it came to pass that when Jesus had told these things, he expounded them unto the multitude, and he did expound all things unto them, both great and small. In the verses after that, he goes through and gives even a more grand overview of the whole earth and his complete mission. And I think that we can see how much Christ wants us to return to him. But then in verses 6 through 8, we get a different narrator. It goes to Mormon, and he is giving some commentary on what was said by Christ and what was written. Here's it starts with verse 6. And now there cannot be written in this book even a hundredth part of the things which Jesus did truly teach unto the people. But behold, the plates of Nephi do contain the more part of these things which he taught the people. And these things have I written, which are the, a lesser part of the things which he hath taught the people. And I have written them to the intent that they may be brought again unto this people from the Gentiles according to the words which Jesus hath spoken. So here Mormon is giving a testimony that the Gentiles are going to get the Book of Mormon and bring it forth to the world so that we can have this record. But we also learn that everything that Christ said was much, much longer, pages and pages longer than what we have today. So what does this teach us? That what is included in the Book of Mormon from that great record relates to us directly. The words in these chapters are specifically for us. The Book of Mormon was written for us. And why do we not have it all? Why do we not have these pages and pages of this wonderful account? Mormon explains in verse 9, And when they shall have received this, which is expedient that they should have first to try their faith, and if it shall so be that they shall believe these things, then shall the greater things be made manifest unto them. I think that's a cool thought to think of that there's more scriptures out there that we don't yet have. Mormon goes on to say in 11, Behold, I was about to write them all which were engraven upon the plates of Nephi, but the Lord forbade it, saying, I will try the faith of my people. Again, we learn that Christ is in charge. He knows what's in the scriptures, and he has a plan and a purpose for the scriptures that we have. And the scriptures that we have are so precious that we must be studying them today. By a perfect example, Christ expounded scriptures to us and he dove deep into them and connected them and he wants us to do the same thing. And then at the end of 26, it says that he was he showed himself unto them oft and even children and babes did utter marvelous things and that Christ had the sacrament with them and he came many more times to visit them. And I am just in wonder when I think of how they were able to have Christ with them so often. I want to finish with this beautiful, with the beautiful verses from 19 and 20 of this chapter. And they taught and did minister one to another, and they had all things in common among them, every man dealing justly one with another. So all of these visits from Christ, all of this teaching from Christ, caused them to minister to each other and to deal justly with one another and to really love one another. And verse 20 says, and it came to pass that they did do all things, even as Jesus had commanded them. Isn't that the point of everything we hear in the scriptures? We should do all things that Jesus has commanded us. He gave us the scriptures so that we know how to follow him. 
I just want to add my testimony that Christ wants us to cleave to our covenants. He wants us to become part of the house of Israel, his family. He wants us to gather to him like we are his chicks under his wings. And he wants us to be part of his eternal family. He taught these things, especially this week through Isaiah and Malachi and through his own words as he taught the people um, of the ancient Americas. I'm so grateful that we have this account. Third Nephi and Christ's visits to the America is the most beautiful part of the Book of Mormon. And it teaches us so much about who we can be and how to emulate Christ's example. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you've had a chance to reflect a little bit more on your part in the gathering of Israel and how you can apply the scriptures to yourself and to your families and the vital connection that we need to have with our covenants to bring us closer to Christ. I have a testimony that the gathering of Israel is important and that Christ loves us and wants us to become part of his family. I hope that we can do as President Nelson says and learn how to hear him and that we can teach our family and our friends how to hear him as well. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you for joining us. For more Come Follow Me teaching materials, visit cedarfort.com. Use code CFPODCAST to save 15% on your entire order. That's C as in cedar and F as in fort, podcast, for 15% off your entire order.